I'm Naira. I'm Ellie. I'm Nina. I'm Joanna. This is Politics Under the Microscope, where we explore issues that matter to you by connecting science, policy, and society. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Politics Under the Microscope. My name is Joanna, and today we turn to an often forgotten voice in the climate change debate, that of Indigenous communities. Today, we sit down with Joao Victor, a youth advocate and pharmacy PhD student from Brazil. Joao speaks Portuguese, and his translator today is Lina, whose voice you will hear in this episode. So the first thing that we'd like to ask is to please introduce yourself to the guest. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your advocacy efforts and the organization that you work with. My name is Joao Victor. I am from the Pancarado people in Brazil. I am a youth representative for the Global Alliance of Territorial Communities. I am currently a student of pharmaceuticals in the Federal University in Brazil, uh, and I am a youth leader. And from your bio, you started at a very young age. You started at 16, I believe. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Like how you, where you started, how you got to where you are now? I actually never thought that my journey would take me to spaces as big as, for instance, is right now the Climate Week in New York. Because when we work, we are not setting ourselves up with the goal of just reaching larger stations. What I mean is that uh, the work is just natural, uh, the natural work protecting our resources and territories. When we leave our houses and ask for the blessings of our elders to go out and do our work, we simply remember everything that our ancestors have always been doing. And that's something that's a continuous part of the work we do with the preservation of the environment. And when we reach places like this, it's uh, very exciting, very emotional to realize that there are other people also interested in this cause of ours. Um, I actually have to confess that it's a little hard for me to think about this because it's not something we usually talk about. But it's so good uh, to be able to talk about it and see that there are other youth around the world also working on that care. And to also uh, learn that there's so much more people who could help us in that grand network of the transformation of society. So, Joelle, you're a pharmacy student and an advocate for anti-climate change efforts. Does your scientific experience inform what you're doing as an advocate? For a lot of time, we actually saw a lot of researchers come into our land uh, and extract information about our healing, our therapeutical systems, our medicine, and they would extract that knowledge uh, and then they would never come back. And so that was one of the first reasons why I decided to embrace this cause. The second reason was uh, actually seeing how capitalist practices were invading us and forcing us to live in a way of life that wasn't ours. So I started seeing how our communities were actually losing traditional plants, medicinal plants, and that was happening because of climate change. Um, and so I, I started to realize that I needed to take on that fight uh, and try to stop that. And then we have also seen so much technology, uh, so many things come into our communities and that started to worry me. So uh, from that point on was when I started trying to mobilize other indigenous youth to work for the same cause 
uh, and to try to preserve our indigenous identity. So what I actually desire is to see other youth embracing and uh, ha- having a fight for this cause. So what does this fight look like? I- I'm curious about what role your advocacy efforts have played in policy, different legislative efforts, etc. What we have seen is that uh, youth have started really caring about this decision-making space. The growing insertion of our youth in uh, superior teaching, the insertion of this youth in creating their own media, the boldness that our youth have in leading acts of protest and against action, and then seeing our youth have uh, the authority to take on these discussions as uh, based on the legal knowledge of what is going on. They have even started using that legal action as a tool for our fight. For instance, we know the PACs and international action that Brazil has ratified. We've uh, heard and understand the international treaties and diplomatic instances that Brazil is due to. Uh, so, for instance, there's the Convention uh, of the International Organization for Labor, as well as the High Commissioner of the UN. Uh, that kind of legal pacts. So turning towards climate change, what challenges that are climate change related that indigenous communities face? So uh, in former times, our communities were able to foresee when would be the time to harvest, when would be the time of the rain. And a lot of our rituals were actually based around that. And so with the changing rain pattern, for instance, the times for the fruits to be harvested, for them to be connected, have changed, and that has had a large impact on our culture. All, of course, altered our our cosmovision as indigenous peoples. And so we've been suffering greatly with uh, things like extra hot summer and extra cold winters. And sometimes it seems as though there is nothing we can do to change that. But uh, actually our collective actions have shown us that it is possible to transform society. For instance, we didn't actually used to do any reforestation because we would see that nature had its own natural cycle of regeneration. But we have seen that it is now necessary to take on this action to aid nature in its recovery. We actually do forest monitoring work to identify fire hotspots, invasions of our land or deforestation, This is actually a work that we do just by our own initiative. We have no support from the government or a lot of times from other institutions. And a lot of us youth have actually been directly threatened because of that work we do. What we actually do is that we divide into teams and we go into the land to monitor the forest based on the knowledge translated to us by our ancestors. And that helps us understand how far is the territorial dimension of our people. And uh, that work has led us to see some indications of what is actually going on. There are several signs that nature gives us that we believe are actually signs coming from our ancestors to show us what the alerts are um, by seeing patterns in the stars, in the sound of birds, in nature itself. I just want to clarify that you said that you and your... Um Community has received threats for the work that you do that is not supported by the government. Did we understand that correctly? Yeah, that's what he said. Wow. Oh, that's 
That's crazy. Um, so another question that we wanted to ask before we I, I turn it over to Naira is um, you mentioned earlier that capitalism has a lot of detrimental effects on on your lives and in the community as well. And so the U.S., the one that uh, us hostesses reside in, it's a pretty capitalist country. And so I wanted to kind of turn the conversation towards the U.S. So my question is, what role does the U.S. have in your efforts? Kids start rethinking the way of life that is leading their current actions. Is it really necessary to accumulate so much? Do people actually need so much to live? I mean, what's the point of all this progress if people are not even seeing that all ways of life deserve to be respected? And how is it possible that people uh, actually feel comfortable using so many things that come from uh, extraction, slavery and destruction of our territories? Don't people even feel responsible for all the deaths, for all the deforestation, for all the blood that is being shed? I think that even just to begin reflecting on that is just a huge point in itself. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn it over to my lovely co-host, Naira, who will be asking questions that are more focused about, about the U.S. simply because most of our listeners are based here. And um, we like to have a domestic focus specifically on policy. Thank you. Thank you, Lena and Joao, for your amazing response thus far. Um, so from a more domestic point of view and the U.S. Uh, involvement in, in your, your efforts, I was curious um, about what your efforts are doing or inspiring in indigenous communities based in the U.S. If you are collaborating or communicating, and if so, are there any um, initiatives that you have started given that your methods and efforts have been quite productive in Brazil? Actually, one of the difficulties we currently face is to be able to set up effective communication with youth from other parts of the world. Uh, so actually, as a youth coordinator for the Global Alliance of Territorial Communities, it's one of those things that I keep very close in mind. We recognize that it's incredibly important uh, for us to start uh, creating those connections uh, and making big initiatives happen back home based on that. Uh, our actions need to be joined when we find ourselves in different parts of the world doing actions that are transformational that need to be shared and that's actually something that we're still currently missing to be able to see more of what our brothers and sisters are doing within their reality definitely and you know how like what are the ways that you know we could overcome some of these barriers and what support do you need either from other indigenous groups or um, other either like national or uh, domestic communities? It's very difficult. But one thing that's really helpful is the communications work because uh, through social media and other uh, means of communication can mm -hmm. see up close what others are doing. And maybe that's a work, a job that all of us should be doing. 
to be thinking of ways of connecting and to break down the barriers that are separating us. So that every day we can set up a more firm and strong block against all the threats we are facing. Both us as indigenous youth, as all of the youth of the planet. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, one one last thing. So you talk about this importance of getting connected and the importance of social media as a tool. Um, are there any successful collaborations that you've had or people that have learned from your work that have begun implementing the same thing in their location, whether it was U.S. or in other nations? We're actually seeing very often youth who are leading this initiative. And it's very interesting because uh, it's possible that that contagion that it stimulates other youths to take on similar paths of work. But uh, it requires understanding that that big block that is the youth, self-representational. There's many of us doing many things, but the initiative should be one and only. So you can't have one person, one leader speaking on behalf of all the youth. Because what goes on is that while our voices and our messages are similar, it is the sum of our voices that is creating echo and that is bringing forth other youth to assume this responsibility. And it is that posture that has led us to become guardians of tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. I, Tim, who is grateful for the space and for the opportunity to be able to talk about their action. Absolutely. And one last thing, actually, that came to mind. How could people from non-Indigenous communities support your efforts, um, even if they're not in the same country? It's a good question. Because a lot of people ask that question often. And to be honest, they don't have um, like a ready answer to this. But listening with open heart, uh, to listen to what we're saying and to rethink the basic ways of life of your everyday life. Uh, this way of life of extreme consumption, of autom- automation, uh, of recklessness. That way of life has actually disengaged people from what it is to live as humanity. So that's it. Just join us to save the planet. I think one thing that speaks to me a lot from from your response is rethinking the way that we live and implementing changes to the best of our ability to make our way of life more sustainable. I think it's worth pointing out that there's a lot of systems in place that make it very difficult to dramatically make the changes that you need to be able to live a sustainable life and one that is in harmony with nature. So it might be easier for some people than others. However, I think our collective efforts, whether it's through um, the work of indigenous peoples that have a lot more knowledge of natural resources and how to utilize them for this way of life, or through people in other groups that are working to make more structural change, I think we can definitely reach an outcome that accommodates um, everyone's needs and the needs of the planet. It's exactly that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much again for for your time and such insightful responses. This 
has been very incredible um, and very inspiring to say the least. We thank you again for your time. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Politics Under the Microscope. We'd like to thank Lena for her translation and hope you enjoyed our climate change series. Our next series will be focused on fast fashion. Stay tuned!